It is a privilege to be with you and uh, just really thankful for the ministry in my heart this morning and the worship time together, just uh, as we're called into God's presence, as we're called to hear the hope we have in the name of Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing in my own life. So let's pray together as we begin uh, this time of meditation and reflection on God's word. Thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your deep desire to work in the lives of your people, the lives of this congregation and the lives of the individuals who are all walking through different places. And maybe some of the phrases from that song, Speak the Name of Jesus, is something they held out to you particularly. And we joined them in praying your presence and your healing and your guidance and your wisdom and your light into all of those places. And now we pray that as we uh, read from your word and reflect upon it, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth might be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. About a couple, well, about two months ago or so, I was at this conference and in the midst of this presentation that I was so kind of enthralled with and engaged with and interested in, the speaker, whose name is Brian Stevenson, said, we need, well, first he said, it's easier to be faithful than hopeful. And he caught my attention for various reasons. One of those is that faithful is the word I've been holding on to over the last few words. And he said, it's easier to be faithful than hopeful. And then he went on to challenge the church to be a hopeful voice. And part of why it caught my attention is certainly as it, it resonated with some things that were happening in my own life and my own experience, but also because of who, who he was. There's some people that you lean in and listen to because you know something of their own story. Uh, Brian Stevenson is the author of Just Mercy. I don't know if you saw the movie when that came out, that it was made into a movie. He is, I think, even more importantly, the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative. And that some of the stories that he was telling us were certainly these stories of profound sense of God at work in him and through the people he worked with in the lives of others. But also, he talked about those profound places of desolation. The times when he's had to call someone who he's cared for and walked with and loved and say, all of our appeals are exhausted. And the date of your death, and he would provide it. And he talked about, in that session, breaking down and crying and asking God if there was anything else he could do with his life than this. So when that person says, we need a hopeful voice, we need to be a people of hope as well as faithful, I lean in and listen. And because of that, I just kind of kept hearing uh, uh, the, the resonation, uh, res uh, resonation of the Spirit's voice within me saying, Mary, where is your hopeful voice? Where is your proclamation of hope? And it made me turn into some scripture and listen for other places in which we're called to be a people of hope. And this passage in 1 Peter has just been one I've been sitting with for a couple months. So I'm going to read, and if you would like to stand with me as we read from God's word, 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen strangers in the world of the diaspora who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, God the Father chose you because of what he knew beforehand. He chose you through the Holy Spirit work of making you holy and because of the faithful obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. May God's grace and peace be multiplied to you. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of his vast mercy, he has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. Through his faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he's ready to reveal in the last time. You now rejoice in this hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is self-tested by fire. Your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you didn't, don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. We give thanks for God's word. You may be seated. Thanks be to God for that word that speaks over us, that word that calls us with this echo of you are to be a people of hope. And, and part of why it just so hit my own spirit is that as I've walked through these last couple of years, I've leaned, as I said, into that language of being faithful. And, and there are days where that is all we've got, right? We've got to trust and obey, and we are walking in faithfulness. And in all the shifts that have happened in our lives, in my life, in our personal lives, in professional and communal and ecclesiastical, all of those places that have been distressing, challenging, challenging, changing, praying for strength to be faithful is good. And yet as I began to kind of walk with this, I, I, I felt this call that somehow, for me, that in this faithful walk, my discipleship had become a little more like a trudge than a dance, a little more like a uh, personal effort rather than an invitation for God to do something new in me and through me. And that's not to over-dramatize my life or my experiences. Many of you have had far more devastating things happen over the last couple of years. But it is in, within this place of not only how I've experienced that personally, but in the world. In this world with all its mess and its divisions and its violence. Like, where can we begin to see and speak the hope? And, and where is the church's voice of hope? And where is my voice of hope? I think that so many of us have the similar reaction that Brian Stevenson had, is that when this devastation hits close and our grief is so deep, we kind of look about and go, is there any way I can pull away from this? 
We've had so many people who want to just find a new place to live, a place out in the wilderness where you only give the address to a few people and you no longer listen to social media. Like that sounds really enticing at times over these last few years. And yet, and, and, and so there's this, this, this temptation to pull out rather than lean in. And there's this temptation to have diminished hope rather than trust in the one who breathes in us, who calls us, who lives among us, who dwells in us, who invites us to dwell in him. There's something in there that began to call out for me. And when I read this passage from 1 Peter, I found myself again called in because I began to see that this letter particularly was being offered and received and was kept and canonized by a people who knew all the desolation, the loss, the journey of challenges, the disappointments that I could even begin to name. Because the context of this letter is one of a people who have been scattered a people who have lost their inheritance, the people who have lost everything they thought they established, a people who have lost their sense of identity. This is to the diaspora Jews, the refugees. That begins to speak to me. I didn't even notice, I don't think, before that First Peter says it's to God's chosen strangers or exiles. I don't think I've noticed that before when I've read this letter, that this is to these people who have felt like the, the opposite of chosen, right? The opposite of seen, the opposite of cared for. You are God's chosen exiles. I see you. And they've settled into a land in which they're different from their neighbors, in which they don't have a sense of deep belonging, a place in which they live and are finding work and finding ways to, to do life together, but also have all the challenges of not having all the rights of their neighbors, not all the legal protections they couldn't have, get an inheritance. So then, as you hear that location of their lives and you hear what's being said over them in First Peter, oh, you feel this sense of God's healing being spoken over them, the name of Jesus being spoken into the places of the trauma and the hurt and the pain of their particular journey. Because you see over and over again in 1 Peter, you keep hearing this inheritance that can't be taken away, right? This gold, that can't, that, this treasure that is, that is far more defining than anything of gold or resources that you once saw as your security. You see this, this shift happening in the understanding of, of what makes life meaningful and what will sustain and what will keep you and who you are. This hope that we're called to have in Christ is so much bigger and broader and available to us in all situations and in all times. And this is what we begin to see in this first Peter. I think about that, uh, that great song from the Prince of Egypt, There Can Be Miracles If You Believe. You remember that one? Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. 
There's something in there that gives permission for me that in this journey in which I've been leaning to be faithful, which is good, which is a calling, which is great, and yet is not enough, that I also need to allow God's spirit to blow on the embers of the hope and make it burn bright again. That when I see the places of pain and when I begin to despair over uh, situations that we face and when I I look at at just uh, the journey of the church worldwide and where it's at, I pray in the name of Jesus over those places. And I pray for the spirit to blow on those embers of frail hope and make it burn bright again. That I would know that God is not fretting in this season. That God is not weary, that God hasn't given up on the situation, that God is at work in places that I can see if I allow him to open my eyes to see, and in places that I can't see that I will trust that God is at work in those places as well. The, the author of 1 Peter again and again wants to assure us that the message of hope is grounded not in us and our ability to just be strong enough, and if we link arms, we can do this. It is grounded in the person of Christ. It is grounded in the one who gave his life for us. It is grounded in the one who traveled as we've been walking through Lent into the Easter resurrection that defies the power of death itself. This is where our hope is grounded in. One of the words for Lent is, uh, it's, a, it's a Middle English word that says Lente, which means spring. It's, it's this invitation for us to know what God can do in the darkest of places and times. It is the invitation to know the planting of a seed that is covered with darkness is filled with life that can and will burst through. There is something for us to lean into that even when all we see is darkness and ground and and barrenness, that God is at work. And God's promise is, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with the story. I'm not done with this world. I'm not done with this church. That God has life and God will bring it as we pray in the name of Jesus. And walk faithfully. There's the faithfulness, right? Like there's faithfulness to walk into as we begin to to walk by the Spirit. As we begin to reach out to neighbor, as we begin to speak the words of hope, as we begin to proclaim over each other, as we begin to show up in the hard places and be a person of faith, that is a sign of hope for somebody else. And let others be a sign of hope to us. This, this is all this journey in First Peter that I see. The power of this passage, it, as you read even further into that first chapter, it moves forward, and at the very end, in the 21st, uh, 21st verse, it says, so now your faith and hope should rest in God. Should rest in God. So my walking it out can't be again on my sense of my own agency or power, but in the very presence of the God who pours himself out into me. And then it goes on to a people who are still in this place of, of 
certainly recovery from trauma, certainly finding their way in a new land, certainly knowing limitations of their sense of protection and right and, and the fragility of all. And it says to, the, to them, as you set yourselves apart by your obedience to the truth so that you might have genuine affection for your fellow believers... Isn't it? I mean, there's something in there, like, like as you live in this hope, as you receive this hope, how that frees you from kind of your downcast ways to see your fellow believers, to care for them, to love them, to reach out to them, so that you might have genuine affection for your fellow believers. Love each other deeply and earnestly. Do this because you've been given new birth. Not from the type of seed that decays, but from the seed that doesn't. This seed is God's life-giving and enduring word. Like, live into the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is not done in your life, is not done in mine, is not done in ours. And that's part of the beauty of the call of this, this call to be a people of hope. It is a, a plural call. It is a call that you don't have to do on your own, but you do do with others. And it does give the permission for you to speak the real pain and trauma. This isn't like take all those bad things you've been feeling and step on those and be happy, people, right? This is to bring all of who you are, all of what you've lost, and allow God to minister to you in new ways. It, it is to be able to come even in times of great grief in your life and know that your song will be really quiet and fragile and that the person next to you can sing for you and be the person of hope for you and carry you through and then it will be your season to be that one for the other. There's something in there that means it doesn't lay on your shoulders to be a hope, but it's ours together to be a voice of hope in all seasons. And so part of our own journey of reflection, maybe particularly in Lent, is how is our voice giving witness to a hope in Jesus Christ? How is our voice believing and speaking the belief that God is at work in all places and in all times? How can we be a prayerful people that asks that we might recognize the ways God is working in the lives of people we don't understand, that we might join in and just fan the flames of hope in Jesus. How do we look at our social media and the voice we have there and ask the question of how is it giving a witness to our hope in Christ? Or is our voice resounding in other messages. And we're called to be a voice of hope. We as a church are needed in this time to raise up and say that we believe in this place and in this time, God can do miracles. God can work beyond our imaginations. One of the voices that I've been listening to so very closely in this season is a friend named Sylvia Cortez, who over 10 years ago uh, married uh, a pastor from Ukraine. Kiev is where they've been living. And at first, uh, 
her Facebook messages where the posts were just about kind of the initial concerns and then it was from the bomb shelter and then it was from being on the road and then it was from being a refugee in Poland. And it's been kind of my morning practice. The first thing I do is try and, and see if Sylvia's posted something and that I can calls me to pray for her, calls me to lean in when I get tempted to lean out of the story. That's what we do with the news stories, right? Is that we get, it gets our attention for a little bit and it keeps going, but we're, we're back into our other things. And, and I don't want to diminish her voice. I have a quote from her that was from uh, a face, one of her Facebook postings. But her voice has been challenging. It's been grief-filled. It has called for action. It is all those things. But there is, like the psalmist, a nevertheless faith that comes through, that shines through in the way that she writes. And these were her words. I know that many are struggling in their faith at such horrors. They wonder why God is silent. Is God uninterested? But I don't believe that God has been silent. I think God is listening and responding somehow to the millions of prayers. I believe that there have been miracles. I believe God has been speaking and acting and comforting and changing the trajectory of evil men and women through the people of God. We are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I believe there are numerous men and women attempting to figure out how to do this. I also believe in the power of the Eucharist to be a powerful testament to our continued faith amidst horrendous tragedies. We lean on this embodied practice not to just look back, but to look forward. Whereas madmen strive to kill and separate us, to forever set us in a place of fear, the Eucharist proclaims a different way. It binds the church physically and spiritually together in hope. It is a form of resistance against terrorist regimes that seek to divide and proclaims a future we cannot fully yet see. Ah, oh, that's a voice I need to hear in this season. As she speaks, nevertheless, I believe God is doing miracles. I, too, am called to stay with her. Nevertheless, I, too, believe God is doing miracles. And so as we move into this communion feast, this Eucharist, this, this, there's this image that I think uh, I want to make sure we see that she had posted at the same time of this communion feast being offered in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the destruction, that says, I believe that God is at work. I believe and proclaim together the mystery of faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. I believe in the face of all of this that we can trust and hope in Jesus. This is our call. This is the witness of our friends in Ukraine. This is the witness of the ages. This is the witness of First Peter. And so as we come, hear again Sylvia's words. The Eucharist is a powerful testament to a continued faith and a continued hope amidst horrendous tragedies. And that's true for you.
and that's true for me. The witness of the communion feast is that in the name of Christ, we, the universal church, are bound together despite any attempts to divide us. Any ways that sneaks in to our churches. There's, there's a, a word being spoken over us that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we will be one with Christ, one with each other, one in our mission to the world. We are bound together in this living hope, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, which we know only in part, and walk together into a future we can't fully see, and yet we believe. Let's pray together. We give thanks for your great mercies, O God, that none of us are forgotten, and all of us are welcome, and you call us by name, and you see us, and invite us to receive the inheritance that is ours, that can never be taken away. And we give thanks for your resurrection life that is at work in seen and unseen ways. Help us to receive your grace and hope and life anew this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.